Hej, det här är Benjamin. Den här veckans avsnitt sponsras av Akademikernas A-kassa. Det är en A-kassa som du med högskoleutbildning kan ha genom hela yrkeslivet. Hej kära lyssnare! Dagens avsnitt handlar om konsten att lyssna. Och gäst är Kate Murphy, journalist på The New York Times och The Wall Street Journal. Med utgångspunkt i Murphys bok, men lyssnar du? Samtalar vi om vad som utmärker en god lyssnare, hur kulturella skillnader påverkar vår förmåga att lyssna och varför det nuvarande politiska klimatet gjort oss till sämre lyssnare. Jag heter Benjamin Elfors och du lyssnar på Bildningskomplexet. Kate Murphy, welcome to my podcast. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. So let's start off by talking a little bit about you. Can, okay. Can, who, who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a journalist and I'm based in Houston, Texas. And I write uh, for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and occasionally for The Economist and Texas Monthly. And um, it's the best job in the world. And I've written a book called You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters about listening, because as a journalist, I listen for a living. And um, I am in Stockholm for the launch of the Swedish edition of my book. And I love the city. I've never been here before. And it's just beautiful. Right. So I'm curious about the art of listening. Mm -hmm. So how, how come you got into to that topic? Well, um, as I said, as a journalist, I listen for a living. So I've always been interested in listening. But I think I uh, noticed what we all have noticed is that it seems to be a lost art. People are not listening the way they used to. And they don't, interestingly, they don't even know what it means to be a good listener. I asked hundreds of people that question. What does it mean to be a good listener? And what I got was a blank stare most of the time. They couldn't tell me. And I thought, thought that was just so interesting and worth exploring in a book. Now, at the same time, they could very easily tell me what it meant to be a bad listener. Mm. Things like interrupting, looking at a phone, um, responding in a way that was insensitive or not logical to what they had just said. And so it really tells you that people have more experience not being listened to than really being gratifyingly heard. And I actually started this thinking I was writing a newspaper article about it. And this was the first topic where I realized I can't do this in 1,400 words, 1,600 words. There's so much here. And in my interviews, people were really suffering from people not listening to them. And they didn't even realize that that was what was making them feel empty. These conversations where people really weren't understanding weren't feeling, weren't connecting, and it's because they really weren't attending. Right. So before we get into traits or how people are good listeners, mm -hmm. uh, I would like to elaborate a little bit on the definition on listening because I was a little bit fascinated with your book because you say there that it's not just, you know, sitting there being quiet and nodding. It's mm -hmm. also being like, you know, interpreting and and, and being active some in, in, in some way. So could you please uh, let us in on, on your definition 
on listening? Well, I think the first thing to do is to distinguish it from hearing. And hearing is passive. It's just taking in the sound waves in your ears. Listening is what you do with what you hear. And it's also involves everything, all your senses, not just your hearing. It's people's body language. It's tonality. It's pitch. It's so many different things. I even found a lot of it is um, coloration. I never realized, this is really interesting research, is that we all have something called color signatures, where the gradation of color in our face actually matches different emotions. You have a different color signature for all these little capillaries around your face and around your eyes and around your mouth that we're subconsciously interpreting. So that's part of listening, is you're really looking at and attending the other person. You're getting a lot subconsciously, but also trying to figure out in your mind, you know, why is this person telling me this? What are their motivations? What are they not telling me? That all goes into listening. So it isn't just these sound waves that are going in my ear and I'm being quiet quiet, and I'm nodding and saying, mm-hmm, every once in a while, maybe a lot of these listening coaches tell you to paraphrase back. That's that's not listening. Right. It's really the, the definition of listening is is understanding. That That's the goal, is mm. understanding in the end. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's funny. Yeah, you're critical against coaches saying you know, paraphrase what people just, you know, what the person just said. I think that's, that's my conception of, you know, let's, let's, now, now I'm going to teach you how to listen. Yes. And then you're supposed to, you know, paraphrase that person. Why, why is that not a good thing? Well, because it, the a way the way the coaches that I've looked at, it's a lot of executive coaching. I read so much stuff about listening. And it really is what listening listeners are supposed to look like. You're supposed to nod every once in a while and throw in a mm-hmm and yeah, I gotcha, I hear you. You know, <laughs> yeah. and so it's it's really pro forma, but it, there's nothing in there about really trying to understand and connect with the other person. And the paraphrasing People really, the research shows, and I mean, just personal experience, people don't want 
you to repeat back what they said. They want you to get it. They want you to understand why you were telling them that. They don't really care so much that you remember every single fact and can spit it back to them. It's that they want you to understand what they were feeling, Mm -hmm. the emotion behind what they were saying. That's what people want from you. They want that sense of, okay, I see where you're coming from. And we're going to dig deeper into that a little bit later. Uh Uh, I want to hear you talk a little bit about the science behind listening, because you cite a lot of articles and and, and, and researchers. Uh, What happens to us when we listen? Well, that was just fascinating to me. I had no idea about the neuroscience of listening, but you know how we talk about, you know, we're really in sync. Or somebody says, you know, I'm really in tune with this other person. Yeah. Well, that that's actually true. It's it's biophysiologically true. They have done uh, brain research, hooked people up to fMRIs where they can see the neural activity in people's brains. And when there's that moment of understanding, there is an actual linking, syncing up of the brain waves, the neural patterns between the listener and the speaker. So when you get it, and we've all had that feeling, one of the psychologists I interviewed called those moments of magic, where you're just talking to someone and you just, you feel like they've got you or you got them, like, I get, aha, I got it. And at that moment, you can actually see it, measure it within people's brains. And then when that happens, there are all these neurochemicals that are released through your body, things like oxytocin, that are those really feel-good feelings. And and it, it may not be that you necessarily like the person or you agree with what they're saying, but you get it, you understand it. I see where they're coming from. I may not agree with you, but I see where the, what their logic is. And at that moment, we do have this flood of chemicals that actually are what keep us healthy. That's why when people are isolated or they're lonely or even when they're with other people or feel left out or ostracized, that their immune system actually is um, lower functioning and people tend to get sick more often, not to mention they're just unhappy. So there's so much more to it than just getting it, which is great. But it's also, it's key to our health. And that has an evolutionary um, advantage. Because, you know, if you think back to caveman times, if you weren't understanding, cooperating, then then you were in real trouble. So if you think about it, you know, you can close your eyes, but you can't close your ears. What does that tell you about that? <laughs> yeah. The importance of that. Right. But one could just could say that, okay, but yeah, but I can get that connection through talking. Mm-hmm. If I, if, if I, if, you know, like if, if I go to a party, people's notion of a party is like, we talked, right? We mm-hmm. didn't listen. So mm-hmm. what I hear you say now is that we, we get that connection through listening, right? Yes. But why is it that people talk then so much and not, <laughs> and not listen? Well, you know, part of that's just culture. In Western cultures, we have been taught since the get-go, that it's more important to, you know, stay on message, get, you know, advance your brand. Really talking was the most important thing. I, I talk about in the book that really our image of success today is someone standing behind a podium or like Steve Jobs strutting across a, a TED Talk stage, you know, mic'd up and talking and going back and forth. But really the the real power in communication comes from listening. Because like I said earlier, is to really make yourself clear and compelling 
you have to know your audience. And, and we've lost that. We've lost that ability to actually really be able to craft a message that resonates. So you're having that neural syncing up with the other person because you can talk all day. I mean, talking without listening is like touching without being touched. You, you have to have that back and forth. You have to allow it in. If it's only going out, the talking, you're, that, that doesn't do it. That, that's, that's all going out. Nothing's coming in. So let's talk about some of the best listeners in the world. You, <laughs> you um, interviewed a uh, CIA interrogator, mm-hmm. um, and he, from what I understand, is probably one of the best listeners in the world. Mm-hmm. Like what, what made him so good? Well, you know, I, I listened to and interviewed a lot of what I found to be really excellent listeners who, like me, listen for a living, like a CIA interrogator, focus group moderator, psychotherapist, bartenders, hairstylist. And the thing that they all had, a, had in common, uh, including the CIA interrogator, uh, that was they really had an openness and a stillness about them, a receptivity to what other people were saying. They weren't intent on landing their message first. They, they had a lack of self-consciousness where there were all these voices in your head because that's what keeps a lot of people from listening. So thinking about what they're going to say next. It was a fundamental curiosity. The CIA agent in particular was just almost pathologically curious where he just wanted to know about people. He wanted to know where they were coming from, even if they were really bad people. He wanted to understand how did they get that way? You know, where are they going? What's happening next? And that compelled him to listen. And he wasn't so concerned about letting them know about himself. Though, you know, you have to have a back and forth in a conversation. Uh, One of the measures of a good listener is how you respond. And so he was able to respond to what they were saying, as with all of these consummate or what I call the Olympiads of of listeners, (laughs) um, is their ability to respond in a way that really hit home with the other person and encouraged them to tell them more. They weren't judgmental. That's key because nobody's going to tell you anything if they're fearful of being judged are shut down, are interrupted. And so if you have that receptivity, what I like to call just being from the American South, it's a hospitality. You're welcoming someone into your consciousness. I'm here. The other thing I noticed of all of them is they had a very open posture when they talked. They didn't cross their arms. They didn't cross their legs. They just were open. And, and that was something that I never really thought about. But it is a subconscious thing when someone has an open torso and isn't crossing their legs, isn't leaning back, isn't leaning to the side, but just is a little bit forward, open. And it really does message subconsciously, let me have it. Right. I'm ready for you. Right. So how much, say the CIA agent how, uh, or interrogator, how conscious was he of all of this? You know, I think it's a little bit like me as a journalist. It's, it's. I think, um, 
I talk about listening as um, kind of like a sport or playing a musical instrument. Sure, some people are just born with a little bit more talent than other people, but everybody can get better with practice. So through the course of the CIA interrogator's career, he got better and better, but I think he started out with a certain degree of talent, and he would agree with me on that. Where he just, and part of it's being curious and raised in a way where he was always looking around and trying to figure out uh, what people were thinking, what they were doing. I mean, he, he's an African-American, and he w- grew up in a time when there was a lot of um, racial strife in the area where he lived. And so he was alert, very alert, um, in a way that maybe certain people would not be who were um, of different races. But um, but I, I would say that it's maybe started with a little bit of talent, but everybody can be a better listener with the motivation. And just really, that's why I wrote the book. Just the awareness. If you're just aware of it, right. you can start being a better listener. Right. There's a concept that you write about that I think a lot of people can relate to. You call it, call it the shift response and mm-hmm. the support response mm-hmm. while listening. Mm-hmm. So could you please uh, explain this? Sure. No, I, I think that's great. And it's real helpful for people trying to who want to be better listeners. There was a sociologist at uh, Boston University, Boston University, rather, and he recorded hundreds of dinner table conversations, and he came up with really basically two responses that he was able to record. It's the shift response and the support response. The shift response was the vast majority of the responses, and I think everybody knows the shift response. And what happens is, is somebody says something, and somebody shifts the conversation, usually back to themselves. Right. I give the example in the book of somebody saying, my dog got out last week, and it took me three days to find him. And a shift response would be, oh, I have a rescue dog, and that dog gets out all the time, and I can only be out with him on a leash. We can't let him out in the backyard by himself, and on and on about you yeah. and about your dog. We've all met that person at parties. and Well, and, yeah. it's, and, uh, and it's a lot of people who yeah. it's, they can see that in themselves. Yeah. And, and part of it, it's not that they're bad people. It's they're thinking, okay, I'm going to connect with you. This is how we're alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't fault people, but, you know, a support response and the response that's really going to help you connect and learn and understand is a response that often is a question or an invitation for more information. Oh, my gosh, your dog was out for three days. You must have been so worried. How did you finally find him? So I'm very fascinated by the cultural differences on listening. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you also write about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans versus Scandinavians, or I mean, Finnish. You, you talk specifically on, about Finnish people, mm-hmm. but I would like to hear about what's your what's your impression of Swedish people? How are Swedes? How do Swedes listen? Oh my gosh. Well, that I don't know as many Swedes that so I could really make a judgment. I don't have a representative sample at this point, but I mean, I've loved all the ones that I've talked to so far and and actually um they've asked me really good questions like you. <laughs> so, I mean, my impression so far, but I you know, I think just like you can't say all women are better listeners than men, though people like to do that, or, or this whole entire nation is a better listener than others. What I do talk about is that different cultures have a higher tolerance for silence than others. And, and Americans in particular, we can't stand silence. I mean, we, we call it dead air. 
Do you call it dead air no, here? No, no. I mean, if, if there's if there's a quiet point, we call it dead air. How how nice does that sound? Right. You call it dead air, but we do have like awkward silence is, is a concept in Swedish yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And 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 really, it's 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 any culture um, doesn't like silence, but it's it's the amount of time before we get uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And with Americans, we even preempt. We don't even want it, so we start talking before the other person finishes. So we don't even allow a moment. Whereas, you know, a lot of Asian cultures, they're okay with it, you know, for like, you know, four to eight seconds, which would just be an eternity in a lot of other cultures. And as a result, if if you do learn to be comfortable, comfortable with a pause, just a little bit of silence, a pause, you really find out a lot of information. It took me too long as a journalist to realize that I didn't need to talk. I didn't need to fill those spaces. Because most of the time, people are just gathering the rest of their thoughts or maybe trying to manage some emotions. And if you just give them a moment, it's, it really is very powerful. And also to give yourself a moment before you respond to think a minute. Because if you're ready to launch as soon as the other person stops speaking, then what does that tell you? You've been thinking about what you were going to say before they even stop talking. So you've missed a good portion of it. And so it's really okay. And in fact, I, I quote somebody in the book who says that he married his wife because she is quiet a beat after he stops talking and he can tell she's thinking about it. She's taking it seriously. She's taking it in. And that was what appealed to him more than anything else. He said his first marriage didn't work out because there wasn't much listening going on. Right. That's but, beautiful. But there are lots of stories like that. And, you know, again, a lot of it goes back to insecurity. And I, I really think that people need to know that people are, they don't need to have a ready answer, that it's really okay to say, let me think about that a minute. Mm. Or, you know, I'm not sure. I'd like to think about that. Because that honors the other person that you're taking it seriously and you want to think about it, but also honors yourself when you're a little unsure and you just, you want to be thoughtful. Right. But uh, and how about Finland? You said that in Finland, people, it's even unpolite to give a response too fast. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, so, so there seems... You're too big for your britches if you're jumping in there and talking too quickly. Exactly. So, but are, are that... Are they necessarily good listeners just because they don't like to, to give a fast response? Yeah. Well, I talk about that in the book because, you know, the Japanese are the same way um, as the, the Finns. But you could also argue that they have a little, little bit more social anxiety and they're scared to say something. Right. And they're worried about losing face or embarrassing themselves. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're a better listener, but that comfort with silence allows them to take in more information because the other person will keep talking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it depends. But the point really is, is, you know, don't be scared of the pause. Right. Because I I find Americans to be very easy to have a conversation with. I have my cousin living here in Stockholm and he said that there's, uh, he's from, 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 um, from the states and when he lived when his first year here he he noticed that just you know being at a grocery store is just harder to talk to people mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. and that's something that i've experienced as well coming to to the states you know striking up a conversation in an elevator is so easy and you get a fast response so i i find that there's a, a really 
funny, cocky, funny way of 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 uh, interacting in the states. M- maybe maybe not always good listeners, but but it, but, but good conversationalists. Uh huh. So it depends just... on where you are, and it depends on the person. Because in New York City, people will not be <laughs> as responsive. Now you come to Texas, oh my gosh, we'll talk your ear off. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm ch- trying to get at is they're not necessarily good listeners per se some mm-hmm. of some of these people but they're but they're fun to talk to mm-hmm. like what what's your thought on that well it's it's again it's that performative angle <laughs> yeah. yeah like i'm on stage <laughs> yeah look at me yeah here we go yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so we, we need to also discuss gender differences okay and listening mm-hmm. a lot of of uh, women that i've met uh, that has been on tinder uh-huh. have almost all of them have the same story that men are bad listeners they've mm-hmm. been on dates where where again a p- performance uh-huh. a, a guy will just talk and talk and they will <laughs> they, they, they will go on the shift response over yeah. and over again and, and and the feeling that they have after the date is just i Empty. wasn't I, i wasn't being listened to at all yeah like it, could you say something about the the your your thoughts on on gender differences You know, it's funny because you, you you started out the conversation about, um, you know, what made you start on this? And I, I do remember very distinctly what made me think, okay, this is definitely a book that I need to write because I went on a blind date <laughs> and um, and it was just at a Starbucks because, you know, it's on a blind date. If it's the first, you know, you just want to do coffee, you know, not anything that's more of an investment because you don't know what's going to happen. So anyway, so I, I went and I sat down and, you know, we introduced ourselves and we sat down. And, and the guy just launched and just, you know, just, and he did not ask me one question. I don't think to this day he knows what I do, what my name is. And, and the thing is, is after the first five minutes or so, I realized I started making a game out of it. I said, I bet I can go through this entire day without saying one single word. And don't you know, I did not say one single thing. And I thought, wow, okay. Because, you know, and I've heard the same thing from, you know, friends who have, you know, gone out on dates. I, but I've also heard from my guy friends the same thing. Right. Where the gal did the exact same thing. And again, I think part of it is that we have been conditioned to think of conversation as performative. That it's really more important to advance your brand, get, you know, get yourself out there. You know, they say that. And so it's all about projecting, performing. And I think really social media, particularly things like TikTok and Instagram, where it's all you're you're performing. And so people I've noticed it just even since the publication of the book that I talk with, particularly with younger people, where it's almost like they're they're performing for a camera that's not running. You know, it's it's almost like I might as well not be there. They're not even looking at me. They're I mean, they've got the shot. <laughs> you know where they're the way they're looking, yeah. and so I think that reinforces this idea of okay, I'm on stage, but it, but I think it all comes down to is they want you know the poor guy at the Starbucks and whoever your friends have been with on Tinder, they want to be liked, mm. and that's how they think they go about it. Conversations are always a dance, so I'm not saying that you only listen, but. It, it it that would be like dancing with somebody where somebody's just standing still. I mean, you don't want that. It it is a back and forth, 
but it is a serve and volley type of thing where you're doing that support response, not like shift and, you know, hitting the ball way out in left field or keeping it, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's responding. They said this, and I'm going to respond related to what they said and picking up on the emotion and why they're telling me that. And so it is this wonderful thing of also listening while you're talking. I talk about that in the book. You shouldn't just listen when the other person's talking. You should also listen when you're talking. Pay attention to the other person. Are they interested? Are they still with you? Have you been going on too long? Really pay attention to that, to those little cues. Did I say something offensive? And check in with the other person if you're not sure, if you're not picking up on those nonverbals. You know, have I gone on too long? You know, are you still with me? You know, you know, what do you think about that? And, you know, bring it round. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I also want to hear you talk a little bit about politicians (laughs) not listening. Uh, I think it was interesting in your book, you said that during the Reagan era, that Reagan, he would, he would listen to his opponents. I mean, you, we've heard a lot of, of 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 bad things about Ronald Reagan, but now it's it's funny to 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 just you know the politics back in the, back in the eighties that you know according to you people were actually willing or politicians were willing to talk talk and listen to one another. Now we have we live in a world where it's very very hard to to just listen to other people's. Uh, different opinions. So why why is that? You know, I I think it's because we have become so separated and we aren't listening, but I think technology's helped with that. I I really like that you brought that up because I heard an interview recently between a uh, Trent Lott and Tom Daschle. And your listeners may not know who they were, but they were the majority and minority leader of um the Senate uh during the Clinton years. So, you know, just go back only to the 90s. You don't even need to go back to the Reagan era. And they were talking about how they were able to get things done during the Clinton impeachment. I mean, very divisive time. But they talked to each other every single day. Now, our leaders now do not talk to each other. The only way that they communicate is through Twitter feeds and dueling press conferences. They're never talking to one another. They had a direct line between one another and, crucially, Tom Daschle talked about they used to have a Senate dining room 
where only Senate senators were allowed to eat. They couldn't have aides with them. So all of these guys, and it was communal tables, they had to go in. They didn't have to go in, but that was where they went to eat. And they went and sat together. It was, like I said, communal dining tables. They couldn't have, you know, Republicans on one side, Democrats on the other. And so once you sit down with other people and you learn that, for example, they have a new baby or they're caring for an elderly parent or they've struggled with an illness or they really like carpentry or they keep candy in the top left corner of their desk (laughs) and just little things like that humanize another person. It's really hard after having those moments of being with another person just in their presence and listening for a while to really just reduce them to a political stance Mm. and to demonize them and say that person who just, you know, has a new baby or is caring for an elderly parent or who was sick, that that person's just evil. And what's real easy just to look at a Twitter feed and say that person's evil. And, you know, I just even personally, um, as recently as like, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, being from Texas, we have people all over the political spectrum. So I, I have a lot of friends who are far right and I have people who are far left who I, you know, are very good friends of mine. And I used to have parties where I could invite anyone and I'd have them all mixed together. I can't do that now. What, what happens if you, if you ha- throw a party now with? That either they won't come because they know the other person will be there. And, and they, they find, they equate the view, the, you know, a certain political view, whether it's about abortion or about vaccines or about whatever, that they equate a view with being evil. Yeah. And it's somebody that I cannot cope with. And I talk a lot in the book about this idea of cognitive complexity. And good listeners are able to hold contrasting views in their head at the same time. Right. And they're okay with that. And to me, that's the mark of a good journalist that, you know, I'm not going to judge you one way or another because I know that guy who maybe holds political views that I find, you know, offensive even is the first person who's going to stop if I'm stuck by the side of the road and help me change my tire. Right. So what I hear you say is that it's also the digital platforms that has stopped our, our, you know, willingness to listen. Well, it, it's 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 the willingness, but also it's just made it easy where people think like, okay, I, you know, I'm I'm I know this person by their Twitter feed, right? Where we all know what your you know Facebook profile or your Twitter feed or what's on Instagram. That's not you. Yeah, that's not you, and it's not that other person. Mm-hmm. So if that's what you're using, and that's what a lot of people do now, and it's not just politicians, is, you know, I'll talk to people, oh, well, I saw that they said that they supported this on their Twitter feed, so I'm not going to be friends with them. Right. It's interesting, because I had a guest uh, a couple, uh, like a year ago, a philosopher, who uh, referred to some research that says that being on Instagram or being on social media actually kills a little bit of your empathy, uh, because you have to be, you have to face someone to, you know, what you were talking about in, in the beginning of our conversation about neurons mirroring each other and, and stuff like that. that. That doesn't happen on social media. So it's also, I think it's harder to listen to each other just through that platform. Absolutely. Because it's really, it's just all going out. It's, I mean, essentially people aren't really, you know, paying attention to other people. They're, they're looking at, you know, what they look like. 
at, but also there is this when people become faceless and they become non-persons. They're just this, this electronic accumulation of bits, <laughs> essentially. It's real easy to dehumanize someone. Okay, so let's dig into things we can do to become better listeners. If you would, if you'd have a course with me, like how, <laughs> like where, where do we start? How do we teach people uh, to become good listeners? Well, that's really why I wrote the book. So, I mean, I, I've, I'm very pleased that a lot of universities now are using the book as a textbook for actual listening classes. So, I think part of it is I'm really, I'm very excited about that because you want to start early. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, with any sport, you know, the kid that learned how to ski when they were four is, you know, you can start learning to ski when you're 40, but you're never going to be as good as the kid that started when they were four. So, I mean, I like that. There, there's, there's so much to go into that, I, you know, I don't think we can get to it during a podcast. But, you know, what I tell people, just if they want to start out and be a better listener, the, the first thing that they should do is when they go into any conversation... They should have two things in mind. They want to think, at the end of this conversation, I want to be able to answer two questions. And the first is, what did I learn about that person? And the second is, how did that person feel about what we were talking about? Now, if you can answer those two questions, and you have that as your motivation going into every conversation, you will be well on your way to being a better listener. Of course, you know, the, the book goes into every chapter of different aspects of how to be a better listener, and there's a lot more to it. But if you start with that, you'll really, you'll notice that your conversations, your relationships, your connections will be vastly improved with just those two. Right. Because with that question, it's impossible to have the Starbucks date that you had. Yes. Where, where you know, like if I go on a, on a rant about my life, exactly. I will not learn Exactly. Like who you are. Uh Uh-huh. But are there any other like certain techniques that you find useful? You know, I, I think it's being, of course, attentive. And so that's really what sparks conversations for me is when I notice something about the other person and I just give in to my curiosity and I ask a question about it. Like, for example, um, one of the people who works for my publisher, who's been just wonderful while I've been in Stockholm, she has an Irish accent, which is so interesting to me to have to speak English with an Irish accent and she's Swedish. So I asked her about that and it was a wonderful story. And I guess, you know, keep in mind whenever you're with someone else, when you talk about a technique is really just keep in mind that person's interesting. I can tell you as a journalist, everybody is interesting if you ask the right questions. So if you're having a dull or an interesting conversation, you haven't asked the right question. It's on you. So just know they're in there and you can find them. It's so, you know, part of it's patience. And, you know, I would like at this point to bring up that I do have a whole chapter of when to stop listening. So I'm not arguing that you should listen to everyone till they run out of breath, because, you know, certainly there are people that are toxic (laughs) and not all the listening in the world is going to make them be nicer or not be demeaning. So I'm not advocating um, (laughs) 
as I said, there are too many people in the world. So you, you really, you have to make choices and listening in the way that we're describing is tiring. You have to be really focused. And so part of being a good listener is knowing when you've heard enough. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really want to give people permission. It doesn't mean you're a bad person that you really have to say if it's, it's somebody that is, is really um, harmful. Um, I think we all tend to quit too early, which is something I talk about in the book. So I, I do think the better a listener you become, the more people you listen to, the more aspects of humanity you will recognize and the better your gut instinct. So, you know, they say that the sixth sense is, um, really recognition. So again, the more people that you listen to, the better you will get at realizing, okay, time to move on. Or there's more in there. Maybe they didn't tell me something. So it, it really is a virtuous circle of listening a little bit better to know when to stop listening right. to certain people. And, right. and that's valid. Right. I like the fact that you mentioned that uh, it, it's more of a concept of going in and I'm, I'm going to try to learn something here more than having a specific technique because there's nothing that I find so disturbing when people have been to a course. Yes, on those anything. coaches. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you just, yeah, you and know. And paraphrasing. Yeah. So what I hear you saying <laughs> is. Yeah. And you just know that someone has been on a two day course here and it's just, you, you don't want to talk to that person. Exactly. Because yeah. they're not really listening. Exactly. They're just going through the motions. Right. They're not like in their heart. Again, that hospitality, you know, that it's not welcome. You know, tell me about yourself. I want to learn more. I'm genuinely curious about you and I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to respond in a way. I, I talk about these typical responses that human beings give and, and it's all because we, we really want to have closure and they, we have this desire to fix or correct or advise things like, well, you know, should you see a therapist? You know, that kind of thing. That's not really an open, honest question. You're telling them, go see a therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? That's not a question. No, yeah. Yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's not at all. Yeah. But, I, you know, just to realize that, that you're not really required to do anything. People don't want that. When they're telling you something, they don't want a solution. They don't want you to fix it. And they certainly don't want you to correct them. Kate Murphy, Thank you so much for for coming on to my podcast. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Really great conversation. You're a good listener. Thank you. Du har lyssnat på Kate Murphy i avsnitt 65 av Bildningskomplexet. Följ podden i sociala medier. På Facebook och Instagram söker du på Bildningskomplexet och på Twitter snabela Benjamin Elfors. Jag nås också på mailadress benjaminelfors at gmail.com. Jag tar tacksamt emot tips på kommande ämnen och gäster så tveka inte att skriva till mig. Lyssnar du på podden i Apples podcaster-app blir jag mycket tacksam om du betygsätter och skriver en kommentar där. Tack att du lyssnar! 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Det här avsnittet sponsrades av Akademikernas A-kassa. För att bli medlem, skriv akademikernasakassa.se-bildningskomplexet i din webbläsare eller sök på Akademikernas A-kassa på Google.